Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, coming off a loss in Fort Worth. To TCU, how are you doing? How are you handling things? You know, I, I think pretty well. You, you never, you never know how you're going to react to that first loss of the season, right? <laughs> but you know, we've been through it before on last season's podcast, so um, I think I'm doing pretty well. Again, though, Cade, you, you have to take it. You have to, as some of the listeners know that have listened to multiple podcasts, I'm pretty positive, so it's a little bit easier for me to get over the first loss. If if losses start piling up, I'll be, you know. I'll get negative at some point, but I think, I think I'm doing okay. What about you? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm good. Um, it was, it was a gut wrenching loss in Fort Worth. I, I felt like you and I talked, you and I talked about this, talked to uh, several people about it. They, uh, they really controlled that game for three and a quarter quarters. I mean, 30 to 16 with nine minutes left. Um, I mean, that's, that's all you could ask for uh, in that game. I mean, if I would have told you that, going into that, you would have given me two thumbs up. I can guarantee it and said, that's fantastic. Um, and just, you know, kind of, kind of hit a wall and ran out of gas. We'll get into all of that, but yeah, man, it was a tough one. And, uh, I figured this out after the game that last year. So my daughter's birthday is mid October and last year's Iowa state loss was the day we threw her birthday party this year when we threw her third birthday party, it was on Saturday. So I don't know what it is about my daughter's birthday parties and absolutely soul crushing first losses of the season, but we're definitely moving it to like a home game in September next year. Yeah. Just put outrageous. it on like the, the Kansas game. Well, I guess I was thinking anymore, pine bluff. But... Yeah. Pine <laughs> bluff. We'll do it early. On the non-con, uh, the non-con FCS team, please going forward. But Hey, don't blame that. Don't well, that on her. That's the thing. It's like I, I got to. St- I stopped right short of putting it on her. I mean, she's <laughs> she's giving it her all out there. It's a long day for her, but boy, is it a long day for for the dad when when you're up at the crack of dawn blowing up a freaking balloon arch. And then I, I can imagine. I can imagine. It's it's a tough coincidence. And it like you said, it was a it was a weird game. It started off very exciting, especially for the OSU offense. And then it kind of hit a lull through the middle of the game and it got extremely exciting again at the end. I mean, more negatively with the TCU offense, but it was a really wild game. It's kind of like a roller coaster that took a big lull in the middle of the game. It, it really, to me, Dustin, felt like Oklahoma State played the first three quarters of that game exactly the way they wanted to. Like that, it, it felt like a slow death for TCU. And most times, I mean, literally nine times out of 10, Mike Gundy wins that game. The last time Oklahoma State lost a 17-point second-half lead was at Iowa State in 2011. So for everybody that's kind of freaking out about the game management and some of the play calling, I get it to a very minor extent. This, this is an outlier, 
in the grand scheme of the way things have gone over the last decade with Mike Gundy coached football teams, they have not lost a 17 point lead in the second half since that day in 2011. And I look back to games like Texas last year. I looked back to games like Baylor in Stillwater last year, where there's prime examples of that game plan working out. And so, you know, to me, it's like, okay, what are, where I start looking is where are the key differences? What, what's different about this team uh, than last year? And, and we know it well, but yeah, I mean, Dustin, that game plan is Mike Gundy's MO. And for the first time in a long time, it backfired. And, but again, you lean on your running game. You lean on Tanner Brown to make field goals. He did his part, um, and it just it just wasn't enough. TCU caught fire late in that game, and you just needed one stop, and you were going to get out of there. Yeah, no, you're 100 percent right. I, I mean, do you want to go ahead and get into I, the? Uh, I do into the offense. I I do. They came out and it's actually a a lot of ten personnel in this game. They went 30 percent ten personnel, but again, heavy 11 personnel. We even saw some zero personnel Cade which I don't think we've seen very much this season four plays of that there was several in, in overtime and one at the end of the second half and basically that's five receivers no tight ends no running backs so they swapped out the running back for Braylon Presley getting in the game so we're starting to see him kind of used in the game plan a little bit I thought that was just kind of a end of half move but then they went to it in overtime again so um looks like it's a kind of like second and long, third and long situation that they might bring Braylon Presley in and sub him out, sub him in for one of the running backs. So that was interesting. Not much 12 personnel in the running game. A lot of zone. I thought it was a pretty good mix this game. You know, we've talked a lot about inside zone. They went heavy inside zone against teams like Baylor. Seen them go to that more due to Dom's running style. But in this game, I thought it was a pretty even split of zone for outside, inside. We didn't see a lot of split zone. Saw it on the touchdown. There were Spencer had some nice scrambles, actually gained a bulk of the rushing yards on scrambles. There were some pin and pull sweeps. We saw GT counter a few times in this game, and then some draws and the uh, one reverse. Just not a ton from the running game in terms of the running backs, but in the in the passing game, we saw John Paul Richardson. Five catches. He had seven targets. Brendan Presley with four catches on five targets. They got a bulk of the targets there because TCU was playing a lot of press man on the outside. And guys like Braden Johnson, Bryson Green, Stephon Johnson, they were having a little bit of trouble getting off of that. But that was kind of their game plan. It seemed like they were going to try to go out there, try to get the running game going. Yep. And then once that didn't work, they went heavy pass. Spencer threw it 36 times, only completing 16. So it it just seemed like the the opening script looked great. You know, they got they threw to the cowboy backs a couple of times. I think I told you before the podcast, Cade, yeah. I think 15 plays. Let's say the script was 15 plays. They gained 151 of their total 386 yards on those first 15 plays. Yeah. So the next 60 a total of 237 yards. Um, that says a lot. says a lot. <laughs> the preparation was great. Um, I think you can chalk a lot of that up to, you know, Spencer didn't look healthy. Um, he looked healthy coming out of the first half, coming out of the second half. But outside of, you know, those first couple of drives and those halves, he didn't look good. He, he looked banged up. And I told you this off air, um, he was more hurt than I thought he was going to be. And, and we had heard some things, but just based on the way some of those throws looked, 
even based on the way he moved around, it didn't feel as though, and I know he had that elect two electric touchdown runs, but he still didn't look as fleet of foot at times in the pocket as he normally does. So I don't know if that ankle was bothering him or what, but yeah, Dustin, you, you laid it out perfectly. And we talked about this last week. I said it, you know, as plainly as this, if Oklahoma state couldn't run the ball against TCU's three man front, they would lose. And that's, that's what happened. They were able to run the ball enough to get up in that game, but they weren't able to do enough, enough to win that game. They, they really did not find much. I mean, it felt like even in the third and fourth quarter, it was handoff stopped in the backfield or, or, you know, one to two yard gain pretty much every time they, they turned around to hand it off. So it was it was pretty excruciating at times in that second half. But yeah, it, it was as simple as that. If you can't run on a three-man front, you are going to have a hard time losing or a hard time winning. I'm sorry. Yeah. And what they tried to do, you know, I talked about the sweeps and the GT counters. I think we saw seven total runs in this game, which is more than they've used in any of the other games really leading up to this one, along with the draws, the reverse, they really, and then using both inside and outside zone, they actually really mix things up in the running game. They just weren't able to get anything going. And, and the, I think the reason they went to G in GT counter is the backside guard and tackle pulling around the guard will kick first edge player and the tackle will lead up through the hole for the running back, the pin and pull sweeps. That's basically one of the linemen either play side backside. It's usually if they're not covered, but sometimes it's predetermined. And by not covered, I mean a defensive lineman lined up directly over the top of them. They'll pull around the edge and lead block for the running back. So their perimeter runs. And why I think they were doing that is because against a three-man front, against an Iowa State style, TCU style defense, what they want to do is clog up the middle and spill to the outside. Well, if you're not able to get anything going up the middle, you can try some of these counter and pin and pull sweep and other type of sweeps to get extra blockers on the perimeter. So, you know, they have the guys on the outside they want to spill the ball to, but if you have extra blockers, you can open some things up, which is why I think they kind of went back to outside zone a little bit. They busted one of the GT counter runs for like 17 yards. They used, uh, they also used bash, which is an interesting play we've talked about on here before. Basically in bash, the running back and the quarterback switch spots. So think of like your typical zone read where the running back's running outside zone one way or the quarterback will keep and run around the other side. Or with Oklahoma State, you see the split zone bluff where the cowboy back and Spencer will go one way, the running back will run zone the other way. On this, they flip. So the quarterback is kind of taking the path of the outside zone run and the running back is going the other way normally with like a jet sweep wide receiver blocking for him. So they went to that. We hadn't seen that at all this year. So they tried to mix some things up and it just wasn't working. They just weren't able to get solid blocks on the outside. If they did have some creases, sometimes Dom was missing them. And the offensive line, the Eli Russ, I, I didn't think he had a terrible game. He's the third string center. I thought he did his best. The Hunter Wooders, the Taylor Matericos, they were not able to get up to the second level. And I know that's asking the offensive linemen, you know, they're getting off their double teams and getting to the linebackers, but they didn't do it maybe once or twice the entire game. And if you can't do that, 
you basically have two or three guys just ready to tackle Dom. If you try to, you know, if you can get one of them blocked, Dom should be able to make the other guy miss, should be able to. We expect that from our running backs. But it was basically gang tackling him right when he got past the line of scrimmage for a one or two yard gain. It felt like a majority of the time in the second half. Well, and outside of Spencer Sanders, 11 carries for 68 yards, you know, they were wildly inefficient, as inefficient as we've seen them in a long time running the football. And, you know, you look at last year, we t- I talked a little bit about what's the common denominator, what what's missing from this team. I, I just don't know if you have a running back who's going to create something out of nothing. I think Dom is going to take what is in front of him. And he may get a little more by running through someone, but the vast majority of the time he's, he's going to get what's right there in front of him. And Jalen Warren used to like create running lanes out of thin air. Like he he was so good with the cutback. He would make guys miss in the second level and then it's off to the races. And we, we just don't have that this year. And so you look at, you know, 22 of 72 for, for Dom, uh, Jaden Nixon, three carries for 15 yards, But even with Spencer Sanders, 6.2 yards a carry, you're still looking at 3.4 yards a carry. So it was awful. I mean, if you you take out the 46 rushing yards Spencer had off scrambles, I'm also taking out the sacks and everything like that. So just everything even, let's say, just running plays, 3.2 yards per carry. Yeah. That's just, you're not going to win many football games at 3.2 yards per carry unless you're throwing for... 300 350 400 yards and several touchdowns well and that wasn't the case on saturday well we we talked for a long time about a lot of things last week and it literally boiled down to not being able to run the football is what loses you the game there's a lot of things that can lose you football games but against that defense like that you have to be able to run the ball better than that and against texas who likes to do a little bit of similar things like that but may have arguably better athletes on the second level this, this is not going to get easier anytime soon. So they're going to have to figure some things out. Yeah, and you go into the game with a guy like Joe Maholski, who we know got banged up in the Texas Tech game. He only plays 24 snaps total, and he played all of them at center. He started the second half at center, and then Russ actually came back in the game. So I'm not sure if he got banged up or if Joe just thought he could go. We were uncertain if he was even going to play Maholski. He's been playing guard, so you lose the kind of rotation that you had there in the guard spot, that swing guard spot. Wilson's not out there, which is huge. We've talked about how much Preston Wilson matters, just not only because he's a good offensive lineman, but because he's so experienced. He's played every spot on the line in-game. He calls out the protections. Him and Spencer have a great rapport. Just So they were going – I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but they were going down – into this game down a little bit. We, we knew they were going to struggle some, but then just kind of the overall blocking in the run game. I didn't think the pass protection was terrible, but I don't even think you can point out one specific guy. I didn't think at the end blocked. Well, I didn't think Materico blocked. Well, I didn't think I thought Woodard did well initially sometimes to get some push, but he never made it up to the. I think there was one or two times I had him getting up to the second level Springfield. I thought he was great in pass pro, he didn't run block very well. No one was able to get any push, and especially when they were running outside zone, it like Dom and aside from I think one of Jaden's runs, it looked like they were running into just a huge wall on the outside. Right. And and honestly, kid, I know we normally talk about the Cowboy backs with the wide receivers, but I thought this was one of their poorest performances blocking as well. 
We saw yeah. a lot of Cassidy out there. We saw some Schultz and Owens as well. But I just thought all around they weren't able to get their hands underneath these guys' shoulder pads and direct these defensive linemen. It was all being dictated by the TCU defense where kind of the flow of the run was going, and then they were just gang tackling. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, <laughs> the running game was was an exhausting part of this game, Dustin. I, I don't know, you know, if you have anything left to discuss on that. But for me, like, I, I feel like if you can't run the football, everything else gets so much harder, especially in this offense where Oklahoma State uses the run to set up the pass used to be kind of the opposite, right? Like back in the mid 2000s, it was used the pass to set up the run. It's it's not that way anymore. I saw a lot of people kind of talking about that on Twitter. Like, let's do that. It's like, well, I, I don't think that they're going to revamp their identity in one half of a game. So, you know, for me, it, it made everything harder. And Spencer on a, on a potentially bum shoulder, bum wheel, whatever it was with a banged up offensive line, you know, I just look at that t- two touchdown lead that they were somehow able to manage to and think you just needed one stop. Like they, they did all of that, all of that that we just said, they got to that point and they needed one stop. They, yeah. And they couldn't get it. And I thought there were positives to take away from the running game. I just thought overall, this was probably, I, I think this may have been the worst blocked game, but again, like no, I said, uh, there's no doubt third, to me. You've got your third string center out there and you've got a guy that's been repping, getting reps at both left and right guards, spelling Woodard and Materko. And then Materko and Woodard have to play every single snap at the guard spot. So yeah. I get it. They're worn down. It's difficult to get up on the second level. TCU's defense, I thought, played much better than I thought they were going to yeah. coming into this game. They definitely surprised me. So, and, and Dom did what he could, and we see, we see Dom as the leading receiver. I know in this game. And Cade, my thing, what I wanted to ask you is, when Dom gets out on the outside on these uh, halfback screens, he actually looks fairly elusive. So I, I know if you, could, if you could just get him in one-on-one situations with a linebacker. I think he could show that he would be able to make these guys miss, not at a Jalen Warren level, like we mentioned earlier, but some to be able to, I mean, they haven't had many runs over 10 yards this season. Well, I feel like it just takes Dom a little while to get going. And because of that, it's like, that's not a great match for inside outside zone. It's just not like you need somebody almost like a an ex valide from from Arizona State that has really good burst if you don't have elusiveness. And Dom, you know, is a really powerful back and has good open field speed, but he takes a little while to get up to that top gear and he's not all that elusive. And so what you have is kind of a recipe for a back that's like there's got to be a big window for him to get up to that second level of defense because Ultimately, he's not going to stick his foot in the ground and blow past anybody. So that hole's got to be there. And so, you know, then you start looking at, okay, well, who else do you have on the roster? We've we've had this conversation, but you're exactly right, Dustin. Three catches for 79 yards, and and he had a 44-yard uh, reception in this game, and all of them coming on those halfback screens. It's like when he gets a little bit of time to see the field, uh, he's, he's really pretty good in, in the open field. Yeah, they started trying to go to it, I think, a little bit too much there at the end. There were a couple of times they went to the halfback screen. They got completely blown up. I think TCU kind of finally caught on to it after it hit them 
they hit him for a couple of big gains, but you know, the, the linemen are blocking well on those. They can get out there. Right. <laughs> we've seen, we've seen guys like Preston Wilson, who wasn't playing in this game do that. But I, I do think, you know, Gundy mentioned it on his radio show. I think you have to get the other backs involved. One for the things we've said many times, just to get some different kind of skill sets in there. You see a Jaden Nixon with his speed and a little bit more elusiveness, which he's shown on special teams. We haven't even got to see DeAndre Jackson yet. We've seen a little bit of what Ollie can do aside from the fumble. And two, because I don't think Dom can keep taking this many hits and and survive the entire season. I'm, I'm not saying Dom's not tough. He's extremely tough, but he takes some violent hits, especially when he's just getting destroyed by the second level players right when he gets through the hole. So I think we'll start to see other guys get carries. I would love to see some 2021 personnel looks and we know Dom can catch passes. Maybe you put him in the slot sometimes. They split him out when they're in empty and bring another back in there, even two backs in the backfield instead of the cowboy back back there. I would love to start seeing more of that. And I, I know it kind of sounds like I'm saying be gimmicky, but really it's let's see what these other guys can do. And you know what else? You can use Dom as a lead blocker on perimeter runs for a guy like Nixon or for Ollie because we know Dom can block. He's one of the best pass protecting backs, I think, in the Big 12. So I think there's some things they can do to mix it up. I won't get too much into that. We can get into that when we do the Texas preview. Well, but just kind of wanted to throw that out there and see what you thought. But that's that's a much more reasonable um solution to Oklahoma state's problem than you know, a lot of the solutions I've heard, which is we, they need a, a power package. They need a jumbo package. They need to run more GT counters. It's like, no, that they're not going to run more counter. They're, I mean, not, they're not going, going to completely switch to a gap scheme running team. They've the offense is already installed, right? They have these plays, but they're not just going to go to that. And we saw after that one play and Kate, I didn't mean to cut you off, but after that one 17 yard run, the next time they ran GT counter, it looked like Etienne and Matirko had never pulled before. Well, that, that so. was the thing. It's like when they finally did it, it stood out like immediately. It's like, we just ran GT counter because that's not what Oklahoma State does. And the one time you do it, it's like, that's a great call in that moment because TCU is not looking for that. But the next time, yeah, they, they may be a little bit more prepared for that scenario. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. You said exactly where I was going. Oklahoma State's not going to revamp their their system here in in the middle of the year. They're five and one, like they are they are right in the thick of this. And if you go get a win against Texas this weekend, all bets are off. And it's like the TCU woes, like that those ills can be forgiven if you just go get a win. So I I'm not interested in revamping the running game. I, I think you need to get healthy. It was better when you were healthy. It wasn't perfect, but it was better. And I love what you're saying. I mean, Ollie Gordon had no carries. He had He's in the stat sheet for one carry for negative three yards. I'm pretty sure he was going to throw that ball and actually made a pretty heads-up play by deciding not to. So he had zero carries. I agree. So my, my, my question is, at what point does he start to become more involved? Because it's got to be soon, I, I think. And and I had with Ollie, and you know, the ball security stuff, Gundy's brought that up. I'm sure if he got a ton of carries, he may fumble again, but he won't as his career progresses. It's just, you know, that was the first time he'd gotten hit like that after he was tired. So I'm not going to, you know, kill him if his, if his, if he ends up fumbling again, if he started getting more carries. 
But my one question was, can he pass protect? And actually, he's done a pretty good job. He goes low on the edge guy pretty much every time. I'm sure they'll start catching on to that. But he normally lights the dude up. And it's pretty awesome to watch. I, I've noticed that on replay for the few pass plays he's been out there. So I think, Kay, to answer your question, I, th I think he's earned it. I think Nixon has earned it. But I, I also think that this isn't so much a dom issue sure. no it's not as it is the o line being banged up and then just overall not having some great blocking games this year in terms of run blocking and maybe also like we've talked about the outside zone scheme doesn't really fit dom's strengths like not that he's not a good back i think there's ways to mix guys in without just completely changing your scheme, like you said, which is not realistic to do in the middle of the season. I do think they'll add in. I, I do think we'll see more counter type runs, maybe some GH counter where it's the guard and the cowboy back coming from the other side, things like that, that we've seen them do in the past. They'll definitely add that in there. But you know, when Sean Gleason came, they kind of went to more of that gap scheme when he was the offensive coordinator, but we've seen Casey Dunn as more of a zone guy. And I know that's what Gundy likes, so I, I wouldn't expect them to completely change. And I honestly thought they were pretty creative in this game. You know, I did too. Talking about counter, the pin and pull. We talked about bash. So th these are all running plays we haven't seen much of this season. So I, I know we're just kind of talking the running game to death here, but I do think it's really important and was a really important part of this game. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And you, you mentioned creativity. It's a perfect kind of segue into the passing game, which – I know this isn't this isn't normally the way we do it, but I like the way this is broken down. I, I thought there was some really nice creativity in the first half too. I mean, you you have Braden Cassidy going out on what appeared to be. I mean, they I think they ran a little bit of a reverse flea flicker type thing. We've seen them run it before, and Cassidy slips out into the second level and is wide open. They they also tried to run another trick play with Ollie Gordon being the quarterback. Like, so I think that they did as much as you could reasonably expect in that regard. Yeah. And the throw to Schultz as well. And right. If Schultz keeps running. I think he might've caught that ball. It was a little overthrown, but he kind of turned around. I'm assuming when they practice that he kind of is wide open and turns around and just catches a little, you know, iPod fly from Spencer little yeah. corn, but if he keeps running on that, I think he catches it. So I, I like that as well. Like I said, the script kid, you and I talked about this off air, the script to get those first two touchdowns. And I think a couple of those plays were off script, but was amazing. I, I thought it was some of the best play calling, you know, I'd seen from Casey Dunn to kind of scheme up those touchdowns, but you got, and he mentioned this when he talked about the game, you got to be good on your unscripted plays. And that starts with the running game, like we talked about. But in the passing game, yeah, I, lo I love the halfback screen. Richardson catches that pass, and he's off. That's We talked about his acceleration on the zone runs. It's opposite on the screen. He takes <laughs> off instantly. You had the wheel route to Nixon, which was a oh. great throw. And Nixon did a great job running that route. He was open, just couldn't haul it in. But he's also a running back. so Couldn't, I, couldn't really even get a hand on it. Like, let's just be honest. <laughs> It's tough. It's tough. I'm sure he catches it every time in practice. Yeah. The first time we've seen it in the game, but it would have been awesome. And it was a really, really nice throw. And then what you and I have been wanting more John Paul, I think he led, did he lead the team in targets? He did. Yes, he, he, oh, no, he no, led no. them in uh, overall Braden receptions. Had, Braden had two more, uh, but he had seven, which is right behind Braden. And he had the most receptions, had the great, your favorite play. They hit him on the slot fade Yeah, and he caught it, did a great job. Hey, kid, my, my question is, 
we've talked, and I know we're going to get into it here in a second about the outside guys having trouble getting off press man. We know a guy like Jaden Bray is a little bit more physical. You know, I, I, his first game back, he didn't look super physical, but we know he is because we saw it last season. You know, Bryson Green has looked physical at times, hasn't. And then Braden Johnson has struggled to get separation unless he's on a go ball or, or a double move. Maybe throw JP out there at outside receiver because he is very physical and he can get off for us, man. I know they're not going to do that. I just wanted to see what you thought about that because that was like the first thing that popped in my head after rewatching watching these outside receivers struggle against man coverage. Yeah, JP, uh, I just got his x-ray results in, and he's got that dog in him. Um, he plays bigger <laughs> than he is, and he talks a lot of talk, which I love for a guy of his size playing that position. I mean, he he went up. I, I can't remember the kid's name from TCU, but he's he's over overmatched by three or four inches on that slot fade play. And he really kind of goes up and around him and makes that catch. I, I love where you're headed there. I do wonder, you know, Jaden Bray wasn't all the way healthy. We've talked about this. I wonder what it looks like when he returns and is himself because he was able to get separation most of the year last year. However, he wasn't necessarily getting separation on a lot of underneath stuff. It was really kind of down the field. Tay Martin was the one capturing a lot of that underneath kind of putting guys on skates. I don't know, Dustin, if they have a route runner like that in the receiver room right now on the outside. I think Braden relies a lot on pure speed athleticism, of which he's very good at. But beyond him, Jaden Bray, um, Bryson Green, you really don't have a a great pure route runner on the outside. So you really kind of need to figure that out. And I don't know if, I don't know if that's maybe addressing, you know, who's the focal point in this offense. We, I talked about this in the off season is Brennan, the guy that gets the bulk of the targets and the receptions. Does he take on a little bit more of a role? Because right now you're, you're exactly right. And I don't see a great fix for it. I don't know who they have on the outside to, to get separation. I just, I, I don't know yet. We're almost, we're halfway through the year. Yeah. And the coach, both Gundy and Dunn, Gundy was asked about it in his Monday press conference and Dunn brought it up. I think himself in the post game, but they were both kind of talking about man coverage. Gundy said he thought the outside guys did okay. And Dunn brought it up himself saying that TCU played a lot of man and that they struggled at times and Katie, it was one of the main things, not that I noticed, I didn't really notice it all, like live on first watch, but on the rewatch, you know, there's the deep throw to Stephon Johnson where he just gets pushed completely out of, out of bounds, bounds. Yep. about eight yards down the field and can never get back in bounds. Multiple deep balls to Braden Johnson. The throws were not great from Sanders, but he wasn't even in a position to catch it if the throw was good. Uh, like these are back shoulder throws and he can't get back in front of the defensive back to catch the ball. He's completely boxed out. Happened multiple times. We even saw Bryson Green couldn't even really get open. Right. You know, Josh Newton was on him a lot of the time and did a really good job. And I think it's one of the main issues we've had with Bryson Green, who I think is an amazing wide receiver. We sang his praises all last pod. But our main concern was, can he get separation consistently against man when he's not in those kind of post up fade ball situations. We've seen him make really good catches when he can get some, but he hasn't shown to do it consistently. And then, you know, we've talked about Braden Johnson, who's also banged up in this game. 
which is why I think you saw Stephon Johnson get about 10 snaps. But it was just really tough to watch these guys. They even threw Rashad Owens out at X, not at Cowboy back in the first half. And I think it was because they were trying to see if anybody could get separation. And they haven't had a team like TCU really press them like that with corners that are that talented. And last week I said, if they let these guys like Hodges Tomlinson and Newton, if they let them play, if the refs let them play, Oklahoma state could, could have some trouble in the passing game. And we saw it pretty consistently throughout most of the game. Yeah. Well, well it's two weeks in a row. And I, I said this on the podcast last week, it felt like the blueprint was out then. And then TCU just kind of added to it. Oklahoma state's outside receivers are not great at creating separation. I, you know, to me, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if Oklahoma State there has like a, do they have too many receivers that are good at the same thing out there? Like Bryson and Jaden, really kind of similar skill sets. I mean, I think Jaden Bray is, uh, has him beat in athleticism, but they're both kind of down the field receivers that need time for the play to develop. They don't really have a great pure route running receiver on the outside. So to your point, John Paul may, may be a fit there. Um, but what he gives up, what he gains in out in route running, which you gain there, you lose in, in down the field physicality. So I, I don't know what the fix is, but Oklahoma state has a little bit of an issue there because that's two games in a row where opposing defenses have keyed on it with a pretty similar approach. Yeah. And I did like on the positive side with the receivers. I, I thought, you know, Brendan Presley, we saw Sanders hit him on that same route we've seen multiple times. Yeah. He looked great. John Paul and him do such a good job finding holes and zones. We saw when TCU dropped back into, it was either kind of, I, you know, I couldn't see the whole field, but it looked like cover two or that kind of double cloud coverage where the corners play the flats that they run. John Paul found, or Brendan found the seam, same kind of route that he would run against Baylor when they were in their cover two. And even even like Braden Johnson late in the game, he's finding the hole in the zone. They're very good at finding the gaps in the zone. And Spencer is very good at finding them in zone. So I, I thought I, I would have loved to see more, but that was one of my biggest takeaways was the outside receiver struggling to get any kind of separation, especially when they were pressed. And TCU didn't press the entire game. They did up most of the game to, into the boundary and sometimes to the field, but... And they weren't in man the entire game either, but I just thought that was a big, big takeaway. And along with that, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. I think you could tell that Spencer's arm was starting to kind of deteriorate. What we've heard yeah. is it's an AC sprain in his throwing shoulder, which is a nagging injury. It's something you can play through, but it doesn't feel good. I'm sure I would cry if I tried to throw a football with an AC sprain. So the fact that he plays through it, you know, he, he said he's a tough guy. We see it on the fact that, you know, he may have also had a, a sprained rolled ankle. I He looked good, really good early. And then you could kind of tell, especially after he got hit a couple of times, it started to hurt him. And he was wildly inaccurate. And Kate, that's what I was kind of talking about. Not wildly inaccurate. He was more inaccurate than we're used to him seeing. And that's two games in a row now. And it makes me think he was a little banged up last week as well. We know he got hurt during that game but maybe that thro throwing shoulder was hurt a little bit either at the beginning of the get that game or from the week prior because he was short on a lot of throws kind of forcing it we also saw him in this game have a little bit of trouble setting his feet 
Yep. Which normally we see when he gets pressured. This looked like even times when he wasn't pressured, he was struggling a bit. I, I don't know if you saw the same thing. But I did. It, it was kind of hard to watch towards the end of the game. Well, and that's kind of what I was getting at. Again, we we didn't talk about an ankle last week, and I was still even skeptical as that started to come out. But his footwork in the pocket was different. And again, it wasn't like happy feet. It was almost like something was bothering him. And then he has that shoulder, and it, was, it really was hard to watch near the end of that game. It just felt like he was giving it everything he had, but it just wasn't a whole lot because he was so banged up. Um, and you, it makes you wonder what a what that game looks like with a healthy Spencer Sanders because you know TCU is not dealing with a whole lot there in Oklahoma State. You know, starting centers out. I'm not making excuses, but you start going down the list. Starting centers out. Your left guards moved over to center, or I'm sorry, your starting centers out. Your your left guard kind of shuffling around there a little bit, and then Spencer. I mean, with with potentially two injuries, it's just like. And Brett Bray's out. It's one you it's one you might circle and want back at the end of the year if you can get healthy. Because that's the big storyline going in this game is is where is Spencer at? Because if it's an AC joint thing and it's a sprain, that's a pain tolerance issue. And granted, that's a lot of pain that you're playing through, but it is something that you can recover from. I mean, Quinn Ears is a prime example. He's back in you know, looks like a world beater right now, but he had an AC joint uh, sprain just a month ago. So it can a couple be, games with it, right. Yeah. It can be recoverable, but right now Spencer's playing that banged up. I have concerns about the next couple of games. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And we've got Braden Johnson, like I said, the head injury, Preston Wilson with the ankle, Spencer, possibly an ankle with the AC sprain in his shoulder. And then Maholski, who I believe was banged up as well. It's just tough, and I, the thing is, Spencer still, still scored two touchdowns on the ground, had the touchdown through the air. On that interception, He, I know it was going to get called back anyway for the illegal formation, but he had him. Oh, yeah. A little delayed, and then it looked like you know he just couldn't get enough on it, couldn't really set his feet. But, you know, if he, if he doesn't throw that interception, we're talking about 245 yards, a touchdown. They maybe score on that drive almost 70 yards on the ground, two TDs uh, aside from the 44% completion percentage, which you've got to get that up. That's two games in the 40s two. now. Yep. It's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing game again from him. I know coach Dunn said he played fantastic. Gundy said he played really well. I thought for what it was worth and knowing he's banged up, I still think he had a pretty good game. Yeah. I mean, that one pick is, you know, it's an arm punt at that point. Like it's not, you know, it's a field position thing. Yeah, you don't want to turn it over on second and nine, but the way the offense was moving, you have to wonder if they were going to move it much further than that. So, you know, again, I am curious to see what the next couple of games look like for Spencer. Um, if he's able to get healthy quickly, Oklahoma State, I think, is the team to beat in both of these games coming up. But if he is, if he is like he was late in that game, I'm nervous about their prospects and we'll talk more about that as we get into Texas, but what he was able to do as he was already injured. I mean, I, I thought he was very good. So I would agree with you. Even the interception, the the way it happened was forgivable to me. Like it, it, it's an arm punt. It's on second and nine offense was sputtering and he's trying to make something happen. I can forgive that one. So 
Yeah, I thought Spencer, I mean, he he continues to just be an absolute like gamer and and tough as nails. And if he doesn't have your respect by now, I don't know what else he can do. So Yeah, and I think he had that. And then I, I counted the one throw to Cassidy where he kind of forced it into the middle of the field. I had that as a turnover worthy play as well. But you know, this is a this is a guy that we're talking about. He just broke the career Oklahoma State rushing record for a quarterback. He moved past Zach Robinson in total offensive yards, so he's second all-time in program history, third on OSU's all-time passing yards list, passing Zach Robinson and Mike Gundy. Just the the he's going to hold every quarterback record by the time it's all said and done. But Kate, I think I think really my last, unless you had anything else, my last kind of two things I wanted to get your thoughts on with the offense is if you're good. If you can't run against TCU going with that light box and basically saying you guys are going to have to beat me with the run game, if the, if teams start doing that and we're not able to run the football, it's going to be a huge issue moving forward. I st- I'm not saying they're going to lose every game, but it's going to be a problem and it's going to make the offense look very inefficient at times. And then along with that, I think the receivers have to get more physical, but if, if they, the outside guys, if they can't, you're going to have to do more stacked receiver formations. Like you see Texas tech do. So you're going to have to figure out a way to get these guys and switch releases. Cause you have to figure out a way to get these guys clean releases. Yeah. There, there's no doubt about it. Dustin. I, I think there's definitely a little bit of soul searching going on. Definitely among the fan base, trying to figure out what this team is going to be, but we haven't even talked about the defense, which I thought for three quarters played fantastic i thought mason cobb was all over the field xavier benson had one of his best games of the year i thought tcu though really found success running the football and were able to sustain drives mike gundy talked about it he said it was as simple the game result ends up being as simple as tcu could run the ball oklahoma state could not and it's funny when the game boils down to something as simple as that but i absolutely agree that they were efficient with 5.2 yards per carry, including sacks, the one that Tyler Lacey had. So they they had something going, and they really started to find success late in that game on the interior of the Oklahoma State defensive line. So uh, I think you have to give a little bit of credit to the scheme, but I, I think Oklahoma State's defense just really kind of wore down and late in that second half, and it felt like they were treading water even in that third quarter because they had been on the field for quite some time due to the offense kind of sputtering a little bit. And then they finally start leaking oil. And then, you know, what happens happens. So, you know, TCU wins the time of possession battle, 33 minutes to 27 minutes. So I don't think it really reflects how kind of bad it got late in that game. Um, And I really think that, you know, that, that nine minutes of game time is where everything that could go wrong went wrong for Oklahoma state, including on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, Kate, I, I mean, I thought the defense, like you said, played really well for most of the game. They had a plan, and you could kind of tell what it was early. Coach Mason hit on it after the game as well, but they were taking away the big pass. They were trying to fit the run with the pass in mind first, from, especially from the safeties, but trying to fit the run and rally to the football. And you got to have clean tackling if you're going to do that. I thought the tackling lacked in this game. We saw guys like Mason Cobb, I think I had for – three or four missed tackles. He said after the game, six or seven, I think he's being a little hard on himself, but I went and looked what PFF has, and I don't always trust their missed tackle stat, but this was the, I think it was tied for the most of the CMU game, overall missed tackles. 
So that was an issue when you're going with that game plan. I think that's one of the main areas they lacked. We also saw a lot of, you know, they played man, they played zone. We saw some more match coverage. It looked to me like it was more of like a cover three match. And basically what that means is, you know, cover three, your typical cover three, the corners, the corners will drop into their deep third in the deep safety single high will drop into his. Well, in match, the nickel that would be over the slot who would normally kind of have that flat area, depending on what type of cover three you're playing. If that slot receiver goes vertical, he runs with him vertical. So then it's pretty much like man to man coverage deep down the field. Uh, if guys cross, you'll pass routes off like you wouldn't zone, but deep routes are pretty much handled like man. So think of kind of like quarters coverage when the deep routes are handled in man. I hadn't really seen them do that a lot this season. They did that. I think it worked pretty well. Really, the one bust outside of the overtime was that deep ball to Quentin Johnson. Johnston made a really good move. And I think, you know, if if Sean Michael Flanagan plays the ball there, he probably has a chance to pick it off. Yep. And then also, it looked like Jabbar. Jabbar did get beat on the route, but it looked like he thought he had help because he pretty much let him have the inside. I know that was also because Johnson ran a nice route, but he pretty much let him have the inside. So aside from that big pass play, I don't think, and let me pull it up. So they, they only had two passes hit for 20 plus yards down the field. And I really think the other one was close to that 20 yard mark. So yeah. it was really the only, only the one big pass play and Duggan, who's a really good downfield passer was two for seven down the field. And I, I like I said, one of those completions was right over the 20 yard mark. So I thought they re- did a really good job. They gave some really light boxes. They had Xavier Benson over the slot. So basically Mason Cobb in there by himself. And I, I thought they executed they- their game plan well. Well, and then the result is it looks like a little bit of a bend don't break approach, right? Like you're willing to give up four to five yards on, on the running plays, but you're not going to give up 40 over the top. Um, I think you're exactly right. Sean Michael Flanagan was having to make a big time play and run on that ball. I don't know if you noticed it. I looked like it's hard to tell with all these game broadcasts. It looked like he had to come from the like complete other side of the field. Kind of like they, they make Jason Taylor do that. They'll make Kendall Daniels do that. He's just late coming over. So at least that's what it looked like to me, my, my untrained eye, but you know, back to where I was originally going, it looked like a bend don't break approach. And Oklahoma State forced TCU into three field goals, and it's like, man, you'll take that every time. I mean, you would like for your defensive line to maintain the line of scrimmage a little bit better, but you're going three on five for most of the game, right? And that le- that lends you uh, to give up some yardage. So I-, I loved the game plan. I just, again that final tail end of the game is is ultimately what cost them. So, um, yeah, it, it's tough because I really think they put together one of their more complete defensive performances of the season in this game. Yeah, and you know, Gundy, like I said, Gundy mentioned this after the game and so did Coach Mason. Their plan was to try to make TCU drive down the field, eight to ten play drives, and hopefully have them make a mistake, turn it over on downs, or settle for settle for a field goal. And we saw, you know, the touchdown drive early, seven plays. They turned it over on downs after 10 plays. They had another field goal drive with eight plays, another one for 12 plays, an eight-play touchdown drive later, a seven-play punt drive. So I think I think it worked out how they thought it was going to, aside from the 
the fourth quarter where I think TCU made some really nice offensive play calls. We had a couple lapses, especially in the overtime. And TCU just made some plays late and Oklahoma State didn't. And I think you mentioned it earlier. It looked like Oklahoma State's defense was getting a little bit worn down. They, they had played a lot of snaps. You know, Jason Taylor's playing every single snap in every single game. They went really heavy in this game to uh, two down, three down. We only saw one play of that one down three Leo package, which we've come to see a lot on third down. I only had, I think, six pressures of five or more defenders. PFF has seven blitzes, so right around what I had. Their game plan was to rush three. They thought they could get there with guys like Tyler Lacey, Sionia C, Brendan Evers, Clay, drop the Leo into that little robber kind of short zone right past the line of scrimmage to where he can also spy. And I put some clips up on Twitter a lot of times Duggan was looking to that throw first and the Leo was directly in that passing lane after he dropped off the line of scrimmage. That's just good scheming by Derek Mason to know exactly where to put this guy to take away Duggan's first read. And then it looked like Oklahoma state was kind of expecting some more of these shorter passes and they got beat a couple of times in the more intermediate because it looked like they were kind of cheating and they still have some issues fitting zone. I saw Thomas Harper out of position in zone one time that ended up in a catch by Quentin Johnston and then a missed tackle led to a big run. But other than the tackling and the late lapses late in the game, which also you got to give credit to TCU on those. I know I've said it like three times already, but I didn't hate how the defense played. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've talked about this too. Maybe not as much as it deserves credit for, though. Mike Gundy is playing the analytics here, like to to try to force TCU on that last drive to go ninety four yards. It's the right call to punt it back to him. It's the right call to try to pin them deep and make them go. For, that that happened twice. Like that happened twice late in that game. Once TCU goes three and out, and the next time they go down the field and score a touchdown, and you're expecting probably on both of those somewhere more in the middle. And so the odds of them going 94 yards down the field is so slim that I just, I get why they approach the game the way they do. But when it happens, it's like, Oh my gosh, it it can make you want to pull your hair out. And you look at the box score and it's like, man, I didn't feel like TCU had 500 yards of offense. Well, that's because they had 400 with four minutes left in the game. So (laughs) I thought the defense was really efficient for the most part. Loved what you said about them kind of getting beat cheating on, on, on some of the intermediate stuff. And Quentin Johnston's a freak. He, he's a bad matchup for Oklahoma State, but I felt like they did a pretty decent job outside of the one, one busted coverage and the one long catch and run. I felt like they did everything you could ask for against him. I mean, Quentin Johnston was going to get some yards. They targeted him 15 times. <laughs> We're talking about Braden Johnson and John Paul Richardson leading OSU with nine and seven targets. Yeah, and and it's, I mean it's impressive how much they move him around. We talked about this in the in the pregame show. Like they for a guy of his size, they sure don't keep him in one spot. They'll move him around, sneak him underneath, tunnel screen him, and then throw it over the top on posts and goes. It's it's pretty impressive what they do with him. A lot of his yards were after the catch, too, because he right. like we said, he really only had that one deep that one deep ball, but just some more kind of defensive stats, you know, they're holding them to three TCU to three of 13 on third downs. That's 23%. They didn't get the one fourth down. They went for overall the yardage. You said, you know, 500, but 400 that came before that last drive. 
And I know TCU ran it for 5.2 yards a carry and Kendra Miller, who I still think is one of the most underrated running backs in the country, goes for over 100 yards. Drew Mercado had 6.9 yards per carry. But I already mentioned it. Oklahoma State was giving that up. I, I mean, they weren't saying, like, you can run for 5.2 yards a carry, but there were multiple formations and ways that Oklahoma State was lining up where Benson was over the slot. It was three down linemen, a Leo, and Mason Cobb in the middle of the field with nobody else in the box and the safeties back deep. So, I mean, you're going to gain some yards if you're lining up like that. And Oklahoma State almost came up with the victory. I mean, they were winning the entire game playing like that. So I think it was a smart scheme. You and I talked on the preview, what are they going to take away? You know, if they if they try to take away the run game, they might get deep, beat deep on some deep passes, either from the slot guy, Davis, Gunnar Henderson, you know, the, those type of players, and, and Quentin Johnston on the outside. They could, you know, try to take away the deep pass, but they might give up some shorter stuff, also the running game. So... They made their decision, and I, I thought it was fine. Overall, just if we're going to talk about certain position groups, the defensive line, I think they've got to do a better job overall of clogging. Like we talked about with TCU's three down linemen, they're able to kind of clog the middle. I didn't think the Oklahoma State defensive line did that very consistently against TCU. And again, I'm saying it's a light box. There's not a ton of help behind them, but we would see a C... Clay, Evers, I think, got pancaked once or twice. They just weren't able to really clog up the middle, and that hurt Oklahoma State at times. Well, you go, you go back to last year with Rodriguez and, and Harper running around there. How many times were, were opposing uh, run attempts over before it even started because of the way they were able to fold that interior line? So part of you wonders, like, was it a defensive line thing last year? Was it the linebackers being so involved? Because it does look pretty different right now. And, and you're asking a lot out of them because it's three on five for the, oh, for the most part. And you're asking a lot out of Tyler Lacey, Brennan Evers, Sionia C. Uh, they're not, they're not Siaki Ika. So it like, you're asking a lot there but it looked a lot different last year. So it, it's something I've kind of got my eye on, especially when you go, Texas is coming to town with B. John Robinson, who loves to do some gap scheme stuff. I'm, I'm curious to see what they try to do to slow that down because collapsing the middle, you know, maybe, maybe that's not the best idea against gap. We'll see. Yeah. And I think, I think they miss Israel Antoine. I think he was a big, I think he's a big loss from last year. A guy like Jernigan, who wasn't so much of a, you know, he's more of kind of a, a nimble guy, but I think they miss guys like yeah, that. Nice call. I thought nice Lacey, call. I actually think Lacey played really well. It seemed like they were kind of trying to aim away from him whenever they could TCU. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he still was playing really well. And then the thing about it, you know, I called the C out a little bit. A C made up for it because he made some big plays. He's still been getting a really good push on pass plays. I've been really impressed with that. I think you just need some of those other guys to step up. I know Evers is playing a little bit banged up. Uh, I, you know, I, I really like what Clay did against Texas Tech. I just want to see more from these guys. We saw a little bit of Xavier Ross out there. As far as the Leos go, I think they did exactly what they were asked. You could say they weren't being disruptive, but they dropped into coverage a lot. And they also played that kind of mugged up linebacker spot a lot, which isn't a true pass rush. So I don't think these guys had as many, as many attempts as you normally get. 
you know, Oliver and Martin had a couple QB hurries. I think they have like seven each on the season, which is insane. And then Tyler Lacey gets the sack. He's just an absolute animal. He did his best to try and stop the TCU run game late. I think right before TCU scored, he had stopped the two run plays before that. He grabs Duggan and throws him to the ground. So he did everything he could. He never gets tired. Um, it's like Kevin Gates. But it was just a – I just thought overall the defensive line, if they're going to be asked to do that, if Mason wants them in those positions where it's just those three guys – They've got to be more disruptive and cause more chaos. But I didn't think they played terrible. No, I, I totally I actually thought they played good. I mean, I'm just I, trying to critique them. I think I think three QB hurries is probably lower than you would want. You got to probably credit a little bit of that to Max Duggan's ability to move around. But overall, I would agree with you that the defensive line as a the Leos, I should say, as a pass rushing unit did not jump off the page. But Tyler Lacey continues to be really kind of the anchor of this defensive line as a whole, but even even when he is asked to rush the passer, I mean, he, he's on the outside and he goes and gets him. So uh, he's not the guy necessarily that I'm expecting to go get a ton of sacks, but he is right now. And so I, I love what I've seen from him, but I, I would say three QB hurries is probably not enough against a Max Duggan. And it's ab- I keep I keep pushing us into Texas and I can't wait to talk to you about it. But it's not going to be enough against Quinn Ewers. I, I know he's a young guy. He's he can make some mistakes. Iowa State got all of zero QB hurries on him last week. So they are going to try to go underneath. And I know we're not all the way there yet, but I'm just saying Oklahoma State's gonna have to figure something out rushing the passer next week, or else they're probably gonna get picked apart a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I, I think the defensive line this season has been playing well. There's times where I think, you know, we talked about it causing a little bit more chaos, a little bit more disruption, but guys like Colin Oliver, I think he excels in that edge rusher spot. Not as much in is in that kind of mugged up linebacker behind the zero tech nose guard. You can see he, I don't think he looks uncomfortable in that spot. It just isn't using his skill set. Whereas I think, you know, maybe a Brock Martin, does excel in both spots trace Ford, i think looked really good brock had the brock almost forced a fumble yeah everything was just going tcu's way you know duggan has the interception he threw right into cam smith's hands brock martin causes that fumble and they get it back but i I thought they i thought they were pretty solid linebacker wise i don't know how much you can really say benson didn't do a great job in the run game because he's outside of the box over the slot right most of the game he said i still think he's got to play better and then cobb cobb was there a lot and missed the tackle and that's something we haven't seen him do at all this season but like i said he's in there by himself he's able to get 16 tackles which is a new career high the most since 2016 for osu and it's because he was the only guy in the middle so i don't know how much you can fault him for that he did look a little timid in this game but it might have been because he was worried about if the safety was going to be able to get down there behind him if you know if it's a rpo or if it's a play action fake does he really want to commit fully to the run knowing that they could dink something right behind him and it could go for a big gain with just one you know if they're in single high just one safety back there so I, i thought it was one of his yeah, it might have been his worst game of the season, but it's still, from Cobb's standards, it wasn't bad. 
Yeah. Well, and you raise an interesting point with Benson. Like my perception of him was more positive because you didn't notice him as much. <laughs> like it's almost like Very a good, true. it's almost like a good corner. It's like, if they don't show up much, that's a good thing. Um, you're exactly right. He was playing kind of out of the box for most of that game. And you need him. You need him helping. And and I don't think it's any coincidence that that was the game plan. And they struggled to do what you just said and clog the middle because they, they've got the linebackers kind of spread out trying to cover as much ground as possible while also making plays. Again, back to the bend, don't break kind of, you know, uh, double-edged sword of things. So, you know, I, I, I thought Cobb was good enough. I didn't quite, you know, notice the timidness but I, I think you're spot on um especially knowing that they'll slip tay barber or you know um darius davis right behind you and so i think you're spot on i think you raise a really good point but you know it's hard to pin this on any any one thing for me defensively yeah for, for me it was really just missing some of those tackles it, yeah it, what like it wasn't like the most missed tackles I've ever seen in my life. They just came at bad times, especially when it was on Johnston after a short catch that he turns into, you know, a 25 yard gain or in the hole. If it's the linebacker, Kendall Daniels missing for what could have been a one yard gain. And then because the safeties are playing pass first, they get there late. Then it's an eight, nine yard gain. So I think that was the main thing. I, I can't. Yeah. I didn't think the linebackers were terrible. I thought they did good at what they're asked to do aside from missing some tackles and Vincent actually made some good tackles out on the, out on the perimeter. So I thought he was pretty good there. Cornerback wise, Corey black, you know, he starts off the game and then they pull him and I never saw him again. He must've been banged up from the game before cam Smith played 56% of the snaps cam actually came in for Jabbar. So I don't know what happened there for a few plays because the play he almost intercepted. I believe he was in Jabbar's spot and Corey wow. was still out there. So that was interesting. We also saw uh, Raymond Gay get out there back. at the strike he's spot. Back. Yeah, so he's back from injury. He played like five snaps late in the second quarter. Jabbar Muhammad, well, he gave up some passes to Johnston and then he made some really good plays. He got uh, he was on Johnston a lot of the game. I know they moved him around, but he got targeted a bunch I didn't think he played an A-plus game. I mean, maybe even a B would be a good grade, but I don't think you can say he played terrible in coverage. You know, he missed a couple of tackles. Then he made the tackle on the fourth down. So it was like every time Jabbar messed up, he made a good play. So I, I, I'm not going to crush him either. Corey Black did well when he was out there. I'm actually really impressed with Cam Smith. I know he didn't get yeah, targeted a ton, but for a guy that has very little reps going up against an offense like TCU. I thought he played pretty well. Well, and it's it's really two games in a row where Cam Smith is out there, and it's like, okay, I think this kid can go pretty well because he's he's pretty long for for a guy of his size or for a guy of his youth, I should say. Um, and I feel like he's generally in the right spot. Like I think he's got good instincts and kind of rides that hip pocket pretty well. So I, I like what he's done. You need Corey out there most of the time though you need both of those guys but again I, I go back to this general thought and kind of let's wrap up the defense here with this I felt like every unit on this defense was like B minus or B 
Like it was like nobody really stood out head and shoulders over the other, but they were good enough to win. And so it gives me a little bit of confidence going forward that it's like, I don't know if there's a more explosive offense in the big 12 right now down the field. I think one may be coming to Stillwater this weekend that you circle that you may be a little worried about, but I'm, I'm beginning to see them play more as a unit, as a complete like defense rather than hope the defensive line gets there fast enough. So the secondary doesn't fall apart. I don't really have that feeling that I had, you know, after that first game of the year. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. And I think that's a perfect way to lay it out. You know, Jason Taylor making some awesome plays yeah. in coverage. He had the biz, he had the big missed tackle though. And then was maybe a little late on some run fits. And then on, on that play late, I think it was an overtime looked like they were kind of showing cover two to trick Duggan. They rotate to single high. And I think Taylor <laughs> thought, Hey, this is, this is the formation that they throw this pass on. I'm going to cheat up. And then, you know, he gets beat there. So it, it was like they would make a good play and then have a met. And I think it evened out to, like you said, maybe a B, B minus. But yeah, Sean Michael Flanagan, 11 tackles, which is a lot. Yeah. But then he had a couple missed tackles and then he, he busted had the, coverage. Uh, yeah, the busted coverage. So Kendall Daniels, again, was there a lot when he got in the game, but would, you know, maybe miss a tackle or maybe get blocked at the last second when he's on a blitz. So, I thought it was, like you said, I thought the defense overall BB minus probably for the game. I thought they executed their game plan well. It wasn't, I mean, I didn't think it was maybe, I didn't know if that's the game plan they were going to go with, but once they went with it, I thought they executed it pretty well. And yeah, I, I think that that probably wraps it up. That was a good point to end it on. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough loss. Make no mistake. Like it's going to be one that I think we look back on and think, what if, what if that doesn't happen? But to me, I, I think it's a really simple explanation. And I, I really, you know, you notice Dustin and I, not, neither of us got into coaching decisions really at all. Like, I, I don't think that you can pin this on conservativeness. Like, to me, like, the, the discussion about being more aggressive on offense, it's like, you wanted that offense to run more plays? Like, I, I wanted them to be more efficient in what they were running and either kick field goals, score touchdowns, or get off the field because more plays was not was never going to happen. Like it, it just made no sense to me. So, you know, I I think this is one we'll look back on and regret. But I think in the grand scheme, this is this is excusable when you factor in how it happened. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And shout out again, uh, shout out to Jake. And then shout out to our special teams, Tanner Brown crushing it again. They had the one, one punt return they gave up. I, it looked like Tom maybe didn't put that punt exactly where he wanted, but he got hey. Davis to fumble one. And Sonny Dyke said he's never even seen him drop one in practice. So it's pretty amazing. So special teams, another great game. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to uh, the special teams section brought to you by Jake Meyer. Um, no, I Tom was great. And Tanner Brown, I mean, is one of the – he's getting up there with like some of the more surefire kickers in recent Oklahoma state memory. I mean, that 52 yarder in overtime was onions. Like that was quite the kick. And Alex Hale, another good kicker is his backup. Right. Right. I, I, I mean, the kick, the kicking situation is stacked. Yeah, there's no doubt. All right. Well, let's put Fort Worth to bed. I'm I'm done talking about it. it it's a disappointing loss. I, I don't think it's going to define this season. 
But before we move on to Texas, Dustin, let's pay some bills. Let's say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Price Buckley with Edward Jones. Price is the fourth generation and his family to graduate from Oklahoma State University, and he loves working with fellow alumni. Price uses a personalized approach to build a custom investment strategy tailored to unique goals and circumstances so that you can turn your ideal future into a reality. You can reach Price at 469-757-0290 or on his website at edwardjones.com forward slash Price hyphen Buckley. That's spelled B-U-C-K-L-E-Y. Price, thank you for your support of the Feels Like 45 podcast, and we'll send it to break with another word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. Sent you. All right, Dustin, no rest for the wicked as Oklahoma state comes off that tough loss and welcomes in the upstart Texas Longhorns led by Quinn Ears and B. John Robinson into Stillwater Texas coming off a tough, tough game of their own where they nearly lose at home to Iowa State, who was able to kind of move the ball uh, maybe surprisingly well against them. Texas seemed to struggle running the ball a little bit. I'm not setting you up for anything here, um, but I I feel like if this is a game where Spencer Sanders is potentially feeling any better, this is a better – this is a decent matchup for Oklahoma State if – if – they can contain the run and maybe as they did against TCU limit the big downfield play. Texas is going to try to do a lot of what TCU did down the field, but probably try to carve you up a little bit more underneath with some of the run game, Roshan Johnson, but Dustin, I mean, what do you, what do you see out of Texas? Yeah. So Steve Sarkeesian offense. So you've, we've seen him before. You've seen him at Alabama, USC, He's kind of evolved over the years, adding in more RPOs and things like that. But this Texas team, what they like to do is have Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, Jatavian, Standard, Jatavian Sanders, Bijan Robinson, and then either Roshan Johnson or Keelan Robinson, one of the other running backs out there. They love to do 20, 21 personnel type stuff with those guys. They'll go 12 personnel and add a second tight end out there with Sanders and Gunnar Helm. They'll even have a, can't think of his name right now, the guy from Alabama that they just got back from injury. They've got got a lot of playmakers, and they really, really love to get the ball to all of them. They'll do a lot of motion. They'll do split zone. They'll go super unbalanced where they'll put, you know, both wide receivers, the tight end and the running back offset to one side and have nothing on the other side of the formation. Then they'll run the ball that way. They'll throw back to the 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 side with everybody on it. 
Quinn Ewers loves to throw the play action deep ball down the field. He'll look for Xavier Worthy on that. In the run game, they do some inside zone. Sometimes it almost looks like duo, which we've talked about on here. They'll do GH counter. They'll do some dart with the tackle pulling. They love outside zone as well. It's really kind of a fun offense to watch since they've got Quinn Ewers back. So he's played in played in part of the Bama game, the Louisiana Monroe game, Iowa State. So he's he's gotten some reps now, and he's ready to. I mean, I think he's ready to kind of open up the offense, and they have been. So they, they've looked pretty good since he's been back. They had a little bit of issues throwing the ball against Iowa State. They're going to definitely do this one play <laughs> where Keelan Robinson, the running back, will be split wide. He'll come in kind of an orbit motion behind yours. The run play will be split zone with Sanders coming across on the split zone block. He'll run out into the flat, which we've seen Oklahoma State do in their kind of play action. And then Worthy will be running a post on that same side. So yours can either hand it off on split zone. He can throw it to Sanders in the flat. He can throw the wheel route to Robinson, who came in the motion from the other side. Or if he likes the look of the defense, he'll end up just holding it and throwing the post to Worthy. They ran it like 10 times against OU. So it's something that, uh, oh yeah, yours played in the OU game when they absolutely dominated so th- it's a fun offense. You're going to see a lot of different stuff. I'm sure people will watch this game and be like, hey, why didn't Casey Dunn run that play? So <laughs> they've got a lot of good skill guys, and they're fun to watch. Yeah, well, so A.G. Hall is the uh, Alabama transfer that's now at Texas. He's back from injury, but he's not playing a whole lot. I said this to Ian. Yeah, so just a few snaps in yeah, Iowa State, I think. We, we talked about this to Ian. It was like, were they really dying for another receiver with Xavier Worthy, uh, Jordan Whittington, I mean, th- those two guys really kind of had those outside spots on lock. I feel like they weren't dying, but there, there's some Texas fans still clamoring for A.G. Hall to hit the field. But D- Dustin, Texas is dynamic at at really all of the skill positions, and Jatavian Sanders is really kind of an X factor for them. And they, they've, they've had that big kind of tight end. I'm thinking about like Cade Brewer back in the day. Um, they have had big guys at that spot, but maybe not as big and as athletic as Jatavian Sanders. He could give Oklahoma State some issues. I really wonder what the approach is here trying to contain everything because you got to give up something to me, uh, similar to the way that they approach TCU. Is like, okay, do you give up three yards in a cloud of dust or do you give up potentially Xavier Worthy beating you over the top or – you know, with with this offense, I feel like Jordan Whittington is a guy that's capable of having eight catches in a game. And so if you cheat too heavy to one of those, does he carve you up? And so this, this is, I don't know if there's a perfect answer against Texas's offense, but what I do think I've seen enough of on film is you can't let Quinn Ewers stand there. Like that's definitely true because he does get a little happy uh, in the pocket when he's lit up a little bit. Um, he's still, I mean, he's a true fresh or he's a red shirt freshman and he's playing in like his fifth game. So he's still relatively green. He'll still do some things that make you kind of like scratch your head a little bit, but outside of those kind of random plays, he's been maybe better than advertised better than I expected. And so what I do know is you can't let him stand there. I think Oklahoma state's got to figure out a way to get the Leos involved. And I, we talked about this in the TCU kind of recap, 
Three quarterback hurries against Quinn Ewers is probably not going to cut it. I know Iowa State nearly won with zero, but I think Oklahoma State has to have five in this game. Yeah, Caden, it's going to be weird playing against a quarterback who doesn't run. It's, they don't do any designed runs for him. You know, maybe they'll do one or two here or there. He doesn't like to scramble. He'll try to throw it away, or he will literally throw it to his check down, even if he's one foot away from him, just to get it into a playmaker's hands. Because he's he knows he's not the dynamic runner, and he does not want to run the football. Well, and because of that, you start looking at guys that they've played like that this season, which there are none. <laughs> I mean, you look at yeah, Richardson from Central Michigan. Maybe you look him. At, he was yeah. probably the most like it. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I it's a, it's gonna be strange, and it makes you wonder, like, does Oklahoma State's defensive line, this Texas offensive line? Again, we said it to Ian. I think it starts up front with them. Like what they're able to do is directly correlated to the success of their very young offensive line. They have gotten better as the season has gone on, but they're still young up front. And I I think an experienced uh, dynamic pass rush against this team can give them some issues. But I just know you can't let stuff develop for too long. I I think you're going to have to figure out a way to generate consistent pressure on him. Yeah, you can't let stuff develop, and then you've got to remember, even though yours is a young quarterback, he's already shown that he is extremely smart. Yep. And with how skilled Texas's wide receivers and tight ends, oh, and Billingsley was who yeah, I was thinking of, right. the other yeah. guy. Yeah, he's also Alabama transfer tight end. He just came back from injury, but he hasn't played a ton. But Helm isn't the pass catcher Sanders is at tight end, but Sanders is really good. But with these guys, the point I'm trying to make is – if you don't, if you blitz him, you better get there because he's going to, he can move his arm in all different sorts of angles. Like we've seen Spencer Sanders do, he will make the throw and then, then you're kind of screwed if that happens. So we've seen, you know, I think, oh, you kind of tried to come in a little bit early and they got absolutely torched, not comparing our defense to OU's. Theirs is terrible, but I'm just, just saying, when you said about the offensive line, though, they've got Kelvin Banks, who was formerly committed to Oklahoma yeah, State. He's one of the younger guys. Yep. Yeah. At left tackle and at right tackle, Christian Jones. We talked with Ian, and he seemed a little bit concerned, you know, going into the season about the tackles. Not concerned at all about uh, Cole, uh, Cole Houston, Hayden Connor, and Jake Majors and the interior of the line. Watching Texas, I was able to watch every game that yours played, and then I also watched the Texas Tech game when I was prepared for them, which had Hudson Card at quarterback. I think the tackles have actually played better than people have expected, and I think the interior of the line had this maybe been a little bit worse. Uh, not so much Jake Majors, but maybe Connor and Houston at the two guard spots. Just my take. I could I could be wrong, and you know, like I haven't watched every single Texas game. I, I tried to skip some of the ones with Card playing. But like you said, I, I think it's almost been like a some guys have looked a little bit better, but some guys have looked a little bit worse. And it's kind of even evened out to where they've looked pretty exactly good at times as how you would average expect. at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the individual has been better, but the unit has been as maybe exactly what I expected them to be. I even, you know, got a little bit like of pushback of, about that on our preview pod with the end. Like I just I thought that they struggled at times last year and they were breaking in a whole bunch of new freshmen and they, they are five stars. Yes. Uh, pancakes for pancakes. Isn't that the, the yes, the they're name? really good players. Yeah. They're very good players and they're going to be dominant here pretty soon. But right now 
they're still breaking in together. And I think Oklahoma State catches Texas at an okay time because of that. So there's a lot here. And we haven't even talked about Bijan Robinson, really. Like Bijan and Roshan, like those two guys running behind and this Ke- offensive Ke- line. Robinson, they play all three. Yeah. Like I, every snap. Yeah. It's it's a lot to handle. So Mason Cobb, Xavier Benson, like circling those two guys, this is gonna need to be this is gonna have to be their best performance to date yet if they're gonna if they're gonna keep this close for the Oklahoma State offense. And they love to throw to all three of those guys. They'll yep. throw they honestly line up Keelan at a receiver more than they do in the backfield. And I think he's got more targets than he does carries this year by far. Roshan, very hard runner. He'll play a lot. I think they've even snapped it to him in the Wildcat some this season. Very, very talented. He He's the backup to Bijan, but he plays so much and they do so much 21 personnel stuff that he's out there so much. But Bijan is so good amazing pass catcher he had an insane catch in the iowa state game down the field down the middle of the field he's a really good runner he can kind of start and stop really fast he's got one kind of shake move that he does out in the open field that normally works he's got a good stiff arm we saw oklahoma state struggle tackling kendra miller at tcu if that happens against Bijan robinson he's going to make them pay much more than miller did I think Miller's a very good running back, but Bijan is the cream of the crop in the Big 12 and probably the country right. at the running back position. And they have got to tackle. And Kate, something I wanted to ask you now that we've kind of covered all the players. Also, Texas backup offensive linemen have gotten like zero snaps. So <laughs> the starters are, I think they're starting to get pretty worn down. I believe Texas's bye week is coming up soon. I think it's is next it not? week. Because they haven't, yeah, so yeah they're still are, going. Like, yeah, I think Oklahoma State can take advantage of that. Like you mentioned, that was a great call out by you. But kind of, kind of where I was going is, do you think in this game we see maybe more of that bare front type of front that we've talked about, where it's the three down linemen and two Leos on the field, along with the two linebackers, and you take off one of the safeties, most likely the nickel, Thomas Harper, or the strike, and maybe some Lamont Bishop as a third linebacker, and maybe you line him up, not in that kind of edge spot like we've seen him, but more back a little bit with the linebackers, maybe even in that spot that the Leos sometimes move to and keep multiple Leos out there, keep multiple linebackers out there, keep less safeties out there. And I think what that, I mean, this is just a complete guess, but I think what that would do is it can kind of help the run game without having to bring the two deep safeties up into the box so they can still stay back there to protect against the deep play action pass. Do you think that's something they maybe run out there? Yeah, I, I do. As long as they're not committing over committing in the box to any sort of run, because I, I think the way you lose this game is by getting beat over the top. I think if, yes. if Bijan Robinson goes off for, you know, 35 carries for 250 yards, I think you just tip your cap at that point, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think the way you lose this game is by giving up too much over the top. And so I love where you're going with that, because if you do use that bare front, I don't think Bijan's going for 35 for 250. I I think it's more of a 
you know, middle of the pack type of game for him. I mean, he had like what, 24 carries for 120 against right. Iowa state. Would you take that number this week? Yeah. I, I mean, him and Roshan, I think combined for over 200 yards and they still almost lost that game. And yeah, Iowa I state think... gave them, I, Iowa state missed a few text, missed a field goal too, but Iowa state missed a field goal. They had the fumble on the possibly could have been targeting hit on Deckers. Yeah. <laughs> Deckers threw a pick on like the five yard line when they were about to score and they uh, had a pump block. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I feel like uh, over under 200 is the number. Like if, if Oklahoma state's getting torched on the ground, I, 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 again, I think you just tip your cap, but I think you have to take something away. I don't think you can just go chalk here. Yeah. I think, I think if you do one of those things and kind of take that strike safety off the field, what you're going to give up is Whittington and Sanders. They're going to get yards on you, but you could keep the safeties deep to keep the top on worthy and maybe bring some, bring a bigger player in, whether that be a Leo or a Lamont Bishop to help in the box by just taking off your Thomas Harper and your Raymond Gay, instead of kind of going with the base, but bringing safeties down into the box to stop the run. If you can get them into third and longs, you bring that strike safety back onto the field and then bring multiple Leos out there. Difficult for viewers. Yeah. Yeah. I I like where you're going with that. If you can contain the run on first and second down, make things tough on third down. I'm not saying they were saving the one down lineman three Leo package because they've already shown it this year. But I'm wondering if there was some thoughts. There probably wasn't because I know they don't think of it like this. But, hey, that's something we can use against yours that might not be effective against TCU. Let's not run it at all because we only saw one right. snap of it against yeah. TCU. But the thing, kind of last thing, I, I just I actually went back and uh, watched the game from last year, part of it. <laughs> they killed Oklahoma State on outside zone. Yeah, uh, 12 carries. I had 12 carries for 105 yards. That's 8.8 yards per carry so whatever they do they're gonna have to stop that and like you said there's some it's gonna be like tcu you're gonna have to pick texas is going to gain yards you've got to pick something to take away and it'll be interesting to see what they do but i I do i don't think i think trying not to take trying not to overcommit to taking away the run like you said would be smart because Bijan's gonna gain yards no matter what yeah and that's what i'm saying like you can only contain him to a certain extent. So if he has a Reggie Bush performance and that's how you get beat, I say you tip your cap and move on. But if you Yeah, we can don't... say we helped him win the Heisman. Yeah, right. We'll always have that memory, um, <laughs> just like we did with Vince Young. So, no, absolutely agree with you. Dustin, I mean, any other thoughts on the Texas offense? I actually really like the game plan we just came up with. I, re- I really think you're spot on there. It's probably going to be the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, if, if it is... Um, We'll, we'll, we'll extend a QR code to download this podcast up into the coaching coaches box. So um, moving on to kind of the Texas defense, I, I think that Spencer Sanders really likes playing Texas. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. So the Pete Kwiatkowski defense that uh, is basically the Gary Patterson coverage scheme now that he has joined it's like it's Kwiatkowski's front seven with Gary Patterson. They're using a lot of his coverage schemes, it seems like. So last year in that game, I, you know, I talked about going back and watching it. We've seen Texas be really 
since Kwiatkowski's got there and now, especially with Gary Patterson, they've gone too high, done a lot of that match quarter stuff. And then against Oklahoma State, they go single high, like a majority of the game last year. So it was like they had that specifically for Oklahoma State, and it really caught the Cowboys and Spencer Sanders off guard early. They were able to get some things going as the game went on and pull out the victory. But it it would be funny to see Texas come back out and do that again against this Oklahoma State team. I don't think they will. I think they'll go with that too high look. And they've got a lot of talented guys on this defense. You know, like I said, they like to play quarters. They'll do some two, four, five stuff, which we've seen Oklahoma State do with the two down linemen. They'll do some press to the boundary, off to the field. But that's kind of their base. And they've done some single high man coverage this year as well. They'll really – last year they took their nickel off the field and they kept a gofu out there, their Sam linebacker, for almost, and now he plays their kind of buck spot for almost the whole game. I don't expect them to do that. I, I think they'll go with the nickel. Oklahoma State, I'm sure, will try to go 10 and 11 personnel a lot, so I don't think they'll do that again. But there's a lot of talented guys on this Texas defense, but they've still given up a lot of yards yep. this season and they let Hunter Deckers throw for 329. They let Texas Tech throw for over 300. Bryce Young, I don't think he got to the 300 mark, but he threw the ball 39 times in Alabama's victory. The key to kind of beating them is just the straight up drop back passing game. It is what we've kind of seen through those games that I mentioned. You know, that's two of their losses and then one that they won by three points. They all kind of had the same game plan. Iowa State didn't even get up to 100 yards rushing, and they almost won the game. They did everything they could to give the game away. Oh, I, I like the sound of this. So what you're saying is we don't have to run the ball. <laughs> I mean, Iowa State didn't and Texas Tech didn't, but I, I think you do. You do have to run the ball to win this game, at least somewhat effectively. I, I would think getting up closer to like 3.8, 3.9 yards per carry – if Spencer's able to whip it around, I'm I'm breaking this game down. And Cade, we talked about yeah, this for the podcast. Yeah. Like Spencer Gundy said on his radio show, the team's coming in healthier this week than they were last week. I'm just going to assume he's talking about Spencer yeah, Sanders. Yeah, read between the lines. <laughs> yeah, I know he's got the AC sprain, but I don't remember him taking any big time hits. I'm just going to assume that his arm is gradually getting better because I'm going to be optimistic like that. But he has the arm talent. I think he has the receivers to be able to – I don't think Texas is going to come out and do what TCU did. I do think their cornerbacks are good. Ryan Watts, they just got him back, I believe, from injury. Deshaun Jamison, Austin Jordan. These are talented guys. I love their safety, Jaron Thompson. Anthony Cook, their boundary safety is really talented. It's good defensive backfield, but they don't have the Hodges Tomlinson and the Josh Newton that I think consistently play that press man. You know, I talked about they normally play off to the field – that would be kind of a complete change in scheme if they came out single high and pressed every single play. So I think there's going to be some openings with the wide receivers. I think they'll be able to find some things in quarters, maybe down the sideline deep and on some of those kind of deeper out routes, some of the comebacks. And if Jaden Bray is able to play, I think he'll be a huge factor in this game. And I expect Bryson Green to have a big comeback game. Here yeah. Too. Yeah. As you were describing that, I was thinking Bryson Green sounds like a, uh, a prime candidate for a big game. And, and even, you know, I mean, at this point it's Brennan Presley and John Paul until otherwise notified for the way I think Oklahoma state can find consistent success through the air, but it really does feel like Texas is lacking maybe some of the, 
I don't know if, if they're going to go that kind of two, four, five, it does feel a little bit like you could get Brennan and John Paul in some advantageous situations in the middle kind of flat areas, which is where I think Spencer has shown he's really comfortable throwing the ball to this season. So I, I agree with you. I don't know if Jaden Bray's healthy though. I'm I'm kind of entering this game as if Spencer is getting healthier and Jaden Bray is uh, to be determined. I think Oklahoma State can win this game without Jaden Bray though. The way you describe what Texas does, unless they change scheme completely, which they they could, sure. I think this lends itself to a little bit more efficient look offensively if Spencer's healthy. That's the big wild card. Yeah, and you know, in the Iowa State game, Texas tried to go to some man coverage when they were getting carved up a little bit, but Iowa State went to those bunch formations where the the tight ends and the wide receivers are all really close to the line of scrimmage, and they were torching Texas on those, and Oklahoma State has that in their offense, and they go to it a lot. We've seen them run those kind of bunch trips, those bunch tight sets a lot this season, so they could use some of that, I think. Texas went to some cover three stuff where they had, I think, I, I know Ian Boyd calls it like weak insert cover three. Basically one of the safeties is over to the field and he has that deep post route with the other corners dropping, the two cornerbacks dropping into their thirds. So maybe we'll see some of that, but you could flood, you know, send several receivers at that zone, flood the zone there. We've seen Oklahoma State with those kind of levels concepts of their in their receiver routes to try to attack those zones. It's all stuff all the things that Texas has shown as weaknesses, Oklahoma State already has in their offense. The problem is Texas has a lot of playmakers, so you can't make mistakes. You know, they've got Demarion Overshawn. They've got Jalen Ford, who had a huge game against Oklahoma State last year, tackles-wise. I already mentioned the defensive backs. Baron Sorrell at their jack position. Their Buck Agofu who will line up on the back, the weak side. Kendrick Coburn, Sweat, Ojimo, Alfred Collins, Broughton, Murphy, all these guys, those those guys I just mentioned are all massive human beings on the interior of this Oklahoma or Texas defensive line. And I'm worried, Cade, we talked about the passing and being optimistic about that. I'm worried they're going to struggle again with the running game if they just try to, you know, kind of go with their zone running game with Dom. Yeah. I think they're going to have to add some motion. We talked about bringing in Nixon, bringing in Gordon, not get gimmicky. Like we talked about, like we're not saying get gimmicky, just throw a couple different things at Texas. And I'm talking like maybe one jet sweep, one GT counter, one GH counter, just to get them on their toes, bring Jaden Nixon out there for six snaps, just get them guessing and don't just kind of go to the same inside outside zone with Dom I think you got to keep them on their toes. And if they're able to open anything up at all in the run game, I'm talking 3.8 yards per carry. I think it's going to be a long day for this Texas defense. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's, it is as simple with this Oklahoma state offense as if they can run the ball, it is going to be an extremely tough out. I mean, I, I think TCU and Texas comparatively, they're similar teams. I think Oklahoma state can have some success through the air here, given Spencer's health. If they can't run the ball, though, this is going to look a lot similar. Their Texas is going to be able to drop eight in coverage. I mean, and and Spencer is going to have to sift through all of that. And third and fourth quarter, looking at that offensive line gets worn down. Texas starts getting pressure. 
they're going to have to find something. I don't think you can just pass your way out of this game and get a win. I mean, Iowa State almost did it, but I feel like you're the home team here. You've been kind of talked bad about all week up front if you're the Oklahoma State offensive line. It feels like a bounce-back opportunity. I know that Texas has some big dudes up there, but again, it's not Siaki Ika. Like, this is not – it's not that. And so – if they find success, I I really like Oklahoma State in this game. Yeah, and like I said, I'm not trying to downplay Texas defense. Like I, I, another guy named even mentioned, Jade Barron, really talented at their spur position. It's a lot of talented guys. I just think there's some places they can be exposed. Huge factors are is Preston Wilson back? Will we see Jaden Bray? How how banged up is Spencer? Is Joe Maholski going to be able to play? All those factors play into it. Yeah. But if Oklahoma State is anywhere near full strength, I think they they can get to that, you know, 35, 38, 41-ish scoring range that yeah. we've seen them do consistently this season. And on the other end of the ball, Iowa State's able to stay in the, in the game with Texas last week because they have a really good defense. Right. They, they do their drop eight. They were able to kind of cloud everything up for yours, and he kind of – he didn't struggle efficiency-wise. They just weren't able to get a lot of production from their passing game. So maybe Oklahoma State goes with that, which would be kind of opposite of what you and I were talking about earlier. I think either way, something you're going to get beat by something, but if you can take a couple things away and not get beat on the deep pass years to worthy, you can have you can find success and you should be able to win this game. And you know the crowd's going to be loud. It's homecoming, 2.30, great kick time. I think it'll be a fun game, and I think the boost of playing at home, coming off a loss, tough loss, I think Oklahoma State's going to come out ready to play. Well, and it's interesting. Like, you look at Xavier Worthy and Quentin Johnston. You know, Xavier Worthy is not that, like, big kind of overpowering receiver that Quentin Johnston is, and there's a size differential there. Xavier Worthy's only got about 400 receiving yards on the season through six, seven games already. So, I'm not – like downplaying his ability, but I mean, he's a phenomenal route runner. I don't know if you saw that play they ran at the goal line. I think they called it like a, a slant whip or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, whip route. Yeah. Wh- I mean, it was just nasty. It was like, it was like, uh, they only school. throw to him in Whittington as right. receivers. Like Casey Kane only has four receptions. So he's their of, next highest receiver. Where, where I'm going with this is if you can figure out a way to contain worthy, like, I think I think that's the way Texas wins this game is if Worthy, you know, hits you on a, a post route or Whittington has 10 catches. Like I I actually like the way Oklahoma State matches up with that offense on the perimeter if they're able to keep everything in front of them. And if not, then it's going to be a long day, but I agree with you Dustin. I actually have and and I are you ready to kind of pick this game? Yeah, let's do it. So I have Oklahoma State Entering this game, taking Mike Gundy at his word, healthier than they were last week. I'll take that to mean Spencer's healthier. I'll take that to mean they get one back of a Jaden Bray and a, or Preston Wilson or a Joe Mahalski. And I'll take Oklahoma State to win this game 37 to 33. I think I think they can force a couple of turnovers. I think if if they're able to find enough pressure on Quinn Ears, you can force a young quarterback into some mistakes because of that. So, and I think Spencer's going to have a good game. I think he's going to bounce back. I think he's going to be pumped to play Texas. And I'll take Oklahoma State 
Yeah, I like that. And I the line is actually Texas minus six and the over under 60, 62 and a half. I think a big factor in that is the injury issues with Oklahoma yeah, State, sure especially on that 62 and a half over under line. I'm going to, my total is going to be pretty far over that. I'm going to go 41 34 Oklahoma State. And I, I think it's, I think it's close though the entire time. I think it's like a late touchdown that gets Oklahoma State the lead and Texas isn't able to, to answer. Well, so th- that's what I'm going to go with. But, you know, Kate, if Gunnar Gundy runs out there on Saturday, <laughs> it's going to be quite a different prediction in my head when I'm, yeah. when I'm looking down there at the field. Yeah. If, if no so, shot at Gunner. if so, I'm logging into the hosting platform and, and scrubbing this episode from this part uh, in the It'll stadium. Be useless. This whole last 30 minutes will be useless. Yeah. Yeah. We will have completely wasted your time. Yeah. That will be, that will be <laughs> unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, it, it all boils down to Not that. That is useful anyway. But. Yeah. No, no kidding. Well, if you're not already, download the app Prize Picks, and you can pick. Maybe not a line, maybe not an over under, but uh, I'll, I'll throw Quinn Ewers passing total. If I threw it at what two sixty five and a half, Dustin, would you take the over or under on that? At what? At two sixty five. Over. You think he gets gets more than that? No, no, I'm going to go under. Sorry, I thought we were talking Sanders for a second. That's okay. That's Sanders, okay. Needs, Sanders definitely needs more than that. I Sorry, think I was, San- going, I was going to the Twitter questions. I was getting a little ahead of myself. That's uh, okay. I, I was I was just trying to uh, pay some bills here. I think, no. you know, yours has to be under that, I think. I think you need him like at 200, 210, yeah. 220-ish. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But if you're not already, download the app Prize Picks in the App Store. Use our promo code FEELS12 for a match on your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. So they'll match a hundred percent of your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. When you use our promo code feels 12 on prize picks. I, I know a lot of you have been using it, hitting us up about it. So thank you for that. Um, hopefully uh, win a little money this week. And if, if not, it's not because of us, because this is not gambling advice. This is simply an advertisement for a platform that we can sponsor or that sponsors us. So, Dustin, let's go ahead and get right into it. We've got several audio questions. As a reminder, our listener question segment is brought to you by WT Appraisal, which is the premier commercial agriculture appraisal firm throughout the Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas area, and the Great Plains region of America, specializing in appraisals of farms, ranches, commercial retail facilities, and industrial real estate WT Appraisal has over 30 years of experience in agriculture, real estate, and over 10 offices throughout the region. OSU graduate Andrew Cox has been appraising properties throughout Oklahoma for over a decade and would love to give you help with your appraisal needs. So give Andrew a call at 806-418-2629 or visit WTAppraisal.com for more information. Again, that's 806-418-2629 at WTAppraisal.com. Hey, uh, the benefits of sponsoring the pod, I guess, are you get to stay at my house when you come in town from Amarillo. <laughs> I so wouldn't advertise with me that. This weekend. You'll, you'll get some <laughs> some real weirdos uh, hitting you up for some some free rent. All hey, right. shout, out to, shout out to Cox. Shout out to Andrew Cox. Yeah, appreciate you, Andrew. All right, here's one from Ryan Winkle. What's up, dude? So I think we all need a, a little break from football after this depressing weekend. So just for a moment. Go in your minds with me <laughs> to one Friday night when you 
and you get two video games to play all night with your best friend, and you get two snacks and one drink. Give me your games, give me your snacks, give me your drink, <laughs> and let's talk about this for just a few minutes to give ourselves a break from uh, wanting to punch a wall. Is, is Ryan, the- I love, I love the... Feel free, Ryan, if you want. I, your sports questions are good as well, but you, can, I'm fine with these random questions. <laughs> so, sure. I mean, they because we're very serious sports for most of the podcast. So, I do love the, I do love switching it up every now and then. Oh man, I mean, this may be one of the best listener questions we've ever received. I mean, th- this one, this one makes you think. So, for me, I'm going to transport back to like fifth grade, and my video game is going to be NFL street. Love it. Yeah. Where where are you at? So, yeah, I I have to go a little bit old school too, Kate. I'm not, I'm not much of a gamer. Don't, uh, I don't, uh, are you going to go with like systems? Sorry or trouble or something? No, no, no. I'm hungry, hungry hippos. I'm going to go Nintendo 64. (laughs) I'm going to go Nintendo 64, super smash brothers. Oh, that's an absolute classic and a gem. I that's really good. I would say Blitz, but a lot of my friends are like weirdly good at Blitz. Like they're, it's freaky. Fuller actually is one of them. If <laughs> play him, I, I consider myself decent, and he beats me by like seventy points. So, I would say Blitz, but I'm gonna go Super Smash Brothers. We used to play hey, with who's, my brothers. Who's a lot. your Who's your character on Super Smash Brothers? So I, I actually like to switch around. I don't have one go-to. I, I, I do. Uh, I do know that Fuller loves Pikachu. That's his. That's his go-to, and he's like one of the only people I know that uses Pikachu a lot. But uh, well, I, I kind of switch it up. Do you have a go-to? It's it's usually Bowser. It's usually going to be Bowser. I like that. I, like I don't. That. I don't know why. It just is. Um, I like okay, being versatile. Yeah, I mean, switch back and forth between what Yoshi and Peach is that kind of your <laughs> Yoshi Peach and Waluigi? That's where you. Yoshi's down. terrible. Yoshi's a <laughs> Yoshi's a bottom tier character. <laughs> All right. W- what's your snack? Okay, so I am huge into the into any gummy candy. Okay, so Here I really we go. like like. The Sour Patch Watermelons. They also do the Strawberry now. Regular just uh, Sour Patch Kids. Gummy Worms. I really like the uh, the Sour Gummy Bears. Actually, I'm going to go with the Sour Gummy Bears. That's probably my go-to. So he, he asked for two, so I'm going to give two. I'm going to go with the biggest bag of Sour Gummy Worms you can find, and it has to be the trolley brand. It's got to be the blue bag. Those are, those are by far the premium sour gummy worm and then i'll go i'll go with an old school favorite i'm sure these are garbage as an adult i I don't know i haven't had these in many years i'm gonna go bunch of crunch it feels like the the candy of that generation and that's what i thought of immediately when i thought of nfl street and my uh i guess i'll do my second snack i'll do just like some reese's cups to go along with that i the king size pack your reese's guy too oh yeah yeah, I, I just, I love a Reese's. All right. Well, th- we did way better on this, by the way, than last week's food ranking. Was that? Oh, wait, in a drink. In a drink. So, again, I'm thinking back. I'm 12 years old here. <laughs> um, it's, do we go? I mean, I, I so all my friends used to love like a high C, 
or like a Kool-Aid jammers. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the classic Dr. Pepper. Like I don't drink soda. I, I don't ever like anymore. Not that Dr. I'm Pepper's like a, great. a reformed addict or anything. I've never hey, you really don't have drank. To convince me. I believe you. <laughs> I've never really drank soda. Um, but if I had to pick, I mean, Dr. Pepper is always going to be my go-to. I'm going to go with the, uh, what is it? The Gatorade. I was looking up the official name cause I don't want to m- mess it up, but the, uh, Glacier, the Glacier Frost, oh, the Glacier Freeze Gatorade. So good. So good. Yeah. I'm gonna, the, the light blue. I thought you were going to go with like go a four, four loco somewhere in that direction. Hey, I mean, I'll take one, maybe some surge, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I'll go with the Glacier, the Glacier Freeze Gatorade. Oh, okay. Well, Ryan, phenomenal question. Thank you for getting us out of this this gear that we're in. Here's Thanks, one for Kyle. Hey, Kyle Lowry here. Love the show. Longtime listener. Hey, uh, got a question. Don't remember seeing it. Maybe I'm wrong. Bryson Green, was he hurt against TCU? Uh, most yards last week, zero this week. Doesn't even exist. Did they just have more confidence in old Braden Rockhands Johnson, or uh, am I missing something? Also, Brendan Presley, four for 39. You'd think, uh, kind of like the John Paul Richardson, when uh, Spencer's arms hurt, you know, throw him some shorter passes to that guy, some crossing routes, some slants, something. Um, I just, I'm not an OC, but I feel like there's some things that could have been more beneficial than freaking uh, first and 10. Uh, deep fade, <laughs> but boy, love the show. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, I, Kyle. yeah. No, I mean, you're right. Braden or Bryson Green played 73 snaps. I mean, that's 93% of the snaps. So he was out there. Cade and I hit on it earlier. He just had a lot of trouble, I think, getting off that press man coverage. Like I said, Josh Newton was on him a lot. He was getting. He was getting really physical with him. The refs were kind of letting him play. I'm, I'm not. I'm not like blaming the refs on that. I'm just saying the refs were letting him play. We thought that was a concern coming into the game. It's a concern we've had with Bryson Green pretty much all season. It's something he'll excel at. He still hasn't played that many college snaps in general. I'm right. not trying to make excuses for him, but I, I think he'll continue to get better. But I think we see a bounce back game from this week, and that's just something he's going to have to improve on throughout his college career. I did think maybe they could have gone to some more short stuff late, but they were having a you know, ECU was basically just dropping into every zone when they were running zone and not playing the run at all. And there wasn't a lot of space for Spencer to fit balls into. So I think that's why they kind of went away from it. You saw them go away from that cover two double uh, cloud cover three that they hit Brennan on a couple of times early in the first half. They started to try to take that away. So TCU's defense, you got to give them credit too. Well, and and I I want to kind of vet something with you that the crossing routes, like mid crossing routes, like ten to fifteen yards beyond the line of scrimmage, like across the field, that's not really a a staple in this offense. Like you don't see that a whole lot. Like and I'm scissors, yeah. Like I'm I'm you know, and I think that's maybe where Kyle was going. Like, why are they not running something like that? Like a deeper mesh scissors is the right call, but. I, I'm also curious, like there is a lot of like two, four, five, three, three, five in this conference. 
Nobody runs a lot of scissors. Nobody runs a lot of deep crossing routes because there's an extra defensive back on the field. Like, do I have that right? Like, I, I would think that that's not a great play to run against that look. Yeah, I I think, yeah, no, you're right. I, I think it's something, I think, you know, some of those out routes that we see Spencer throw that's kind to of the that. far hash that we've seen him throw a lot this season. TCU was taking some of that away, but also I, I'm not 100% sure he felt confident and making that throw in this game with his shoulder banged up. So yeah. we didn't really see it very much. We didn't even really see them kind of do that a lot. But TCU was taking some of that stuff away as well. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. All right, uh, Kyle, thanks for the question. Here's one from Aaron. What's going on, fellas? Um, obviously not an ideal way to finish a ball game out on Saturday. Um, my question for you all is it's, it's no question that um, Gundy likes to play the percentages clearly did a lot last year with the historic defense. And, um, it, it seemed to show a lot, um, again, on Saturday, um, you can just tell, you know, going into that halftime, um, in the second quarter, uh, just the rhythm of the offense switched. Um, they were a lot less aggressive and it looked like they, um, I hate to say it, uh, play not to play, not to lose. And I think it kind of bit him in the butt. Do you think, uh, that's what Gundy had in the, in the cards this time? And, uh, do you think it's a lesson learned going forward? So we'd love to get your perspective on that and, uh, look for another exciting, uh, game on Saturday. Have a good one. Dustin, I'll throw it over to you. I mean, it's, it's obviously a tough loss. And Aaron, thanks for the question. I, I think just overall kind of scheme-wise in this game, the offense, like we said, they, they had their script. And then the unscripted plays, it seemed like they're just – they weren't able to find any rhythm in the run game. They weren't able to really get any consistency in the passing game, whether that be from Aaron throws, not being able to – because Spencer did make some bad throws. We didn't really hit on that earlier. Not getting consistency in the run game. Receivers not getting duration. I think Dunn maybe just got a little out of sorts on kind of what to do after he got out of the script and after TCU kind of started to show what they were going to do on defense. And it just get it just got a little inconsistent altogether. I don't think it was lacking creativity or anything of that nature. I think it was just inconsistency. And when you're watching it live, it looks like run, run, pass. Run, run, pass, run, run, pass. When in reality, if you look at the table that I put out, that's not really what was happening. It just felt like that because they weren't able to hit string any plays together. And then you can't run tempo if you're not running string any plays together. I, I I don't know. I don't know how much I didn't like the overall scheme. I think it was just maybe the the rhythm of the play calling in this game. Yeah, I. What I don't again, I'm trying to figure out what they should have done differently. So I'm I'm basically saying I agree with you. Like it's not scheme. And I think we've seen so far, Casey Dunn is a great scripter. Like he comes out of the gates firing. Like I fully expect Oklahoma State to have 14 points by the end of the first quarter. Now it's what they do with the rest of the game that I'm curious about. But We've seen that for years now with Casey Dunn. So I don't know if it's a scheme thing at all. I think it's you can't run the ball. You got a banged up quarterback. Your receivers can't get separation. So literally, I'm just waiting for somebody to tell me without revamping the scheme what you do with that information. Yeah, I think it's just tough. I'm not saying it would it, like he should have done something differently. It's just that 
I don't know if he knew what was going to work as that game went on. And it was, you know, just kind of random play calling, I think. And they just weren't able to ever get in a rhythm. So I think you got to put some of it on Dunn for sure. And he took the blame himself in the post game saying he called an amazing game. I just think it's a little bit of, it's not so much the Oklahoma state's offense. Like scheme wise, like you said is bad. It was just kind of the way plays were called and the way plays played out in that game. As the game went along, it just didn't work out very well. for State. All right. Here's one from another Ryan. Hey guys, I'm going to disagree with most about the lack of aggression. We took several deep shots, but Spencer was underthrowing everything, you know, probably because of injury. I think we, what we lacked was innovation. Um, seems like with our running backs, we only have a screen pass and a wheel route, uh, hardly anything to tight ends and not many, uh, you know, the legal picks underneath. I would like to see us improve the short passing game, uh, which is what I think we need to do ball control and to get it out of Spencer's hands quicker. And also with the run game, more traps. Uh, you know, I really like Michigan's run game. They do a lot of pulling and all that. I know that's not our style, but that just seems like something that could add to the offense. Anyway, uh, we'd like to know if we did some of that, and I just missed it. Uh, let me know. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. We've we've talked a lot of a lot about scheme here, and I I actually agree with you, Ryan. Like there was a lot of discussion about the conservative approach that that Oklahoma State took. I I feel like I defend Mike Gundy till I'm blue in the face, but I don't know what else they were supposed to do. So I agree with you. There was not a lack of aggression. I just feel like they couldn't get much going in the second half, really. So, and I think we've we've belabored the reasons why. Yeah, and on the kind of the, I'll hit the run pass game separately. The pass game, I, I get what you're saying. I, I like, I like what Michigan does too with their pulling scheme. Can't handle it earlier. We're not going to completely revamp our scheme, but we. We did run GT counter. We did run some pin and pull sweeps. We did run a reverse. We do run the QB draw. We mixed things because we didn't do QB draw like at all in the tech game. We mixed things up in this game running more than we have. I'm still not saying it's a lot because we are a zone, mainly outside zone run team, but they did do some stuff in this game. You know, I'd love to see more motion. Like I said, some two back sets might throw a little wrinkle in there using the cowboy back maybe in the fullback spot so he can get a better angle to get out to the perimeter if you want to run outside zone or run a run, pin and pull out there more of the you know split zone bluff and split zone that we saw which is you know kind of hard to run sometimes against three down line fronts especially if they're kind of in like a tighter look on the defensive line but passing game wise yeah we just talked about it with the last question some shorter route stuff might have might have helped some mesh type stuff, some picks, uh, you know, multiple guys kind of switch releasing off those stacked, but we, we saw them try some of those things and nothing was just able to get going consistently. And I think Dunn just maybe got a little out, of, not out of sorts, but wasn't sure what to call next because nothing was really working later in that game. So I, I do agree with you though. I'd love to see more of that added in, especially when we have guys like Presley and John Paul Richardson. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Dustin, that's it on our audio questions. I think we are good for the week. It's a big game, big time game. It's a lot of it's an opportunity to right some wrongs, right some missed opportunities that took place in Fort Worth. 
Um, I, I think Oklahoma State's got the team to do it. I feel like, you know, it's not the time to jump off the ship yet. And that that six-point line, I'm not saying I'm hammering it. I'm just saying Oklahoma State covering six points at home after feeling like a, a little bit of a whip dog feels like a good opportunity. So it should be a great weekend. I mean, it's homecoming in Stillwater, 2.30. Looks like it's going to be a little bit windy. So maybe that's going to affect Quinn years a little bit. Not Spencer, just Quinn. So we'll, we'll just we'll just keep an eye on the weather there. But it should be a phenomenal weekend in Stillwater. And uh, Dustin, were you getting up to Stillwater this weekend for homecoming? Yeah, I'll be there. We uh, we're gonna go up with a group of friends. Uh, so I think it's I think it's gonna be a fun time. What about you? Yeah, I will be there. Kidless, childless, wifeless. It'll be oh, and hey. maybe lifeless if we win. So, Kid, I did want to. I didn't mention it because it wasn't an audio question, but I got a text during the podcast. I forgot to mention his last week, our buddy Barrett Fuller, who we've talked about on here, not not Alex Fuller that created the name, different Fullers, but he uh, he was calling a Spencer Sanders touchdown reception last week. That didn't end up panning out. He still think that thinks that's in the cards, but he says he's running it back. New prediction this week. TB for three, smokes a 50-yard field goal. Would have been good for fifty from 55 to put the pokes up 38-35 as time expires. Of note, it's the exact same score as the 2018 corn dog game because sometimes college football is poetic. So I want to just throw that out there because he's been sending me these beautiful texts on game predictions, and I, yeah. I wanted to shout him out. Well, hey, I love it. Um, I also just looked down, and speaking of Mr. Fuller, we've got an audio question for him. So oh, we almost missed it. Before we, before we get going, I think we should – throw that on here so yeah because he won his bet last week i believe yeah let's hit it hello there <laughs> hello there feels like 45 podcast sports fans if you survived and you're still alive after that game this is your three and three man with no damn plan don't know what else to say, but Oklahoma State, Texas, homecoming, orange fountain, water, decks, pumps, all the fun homecoming stuff. <laughs> With that being said, Texas, minus six and a half, official pick, Texas, minus six and a half. Good night. Wow. Maybe we should have buried that one. That that's, that's Yeah. I don't know what happened to my questions. We've got one here from Matt too. I and we 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 probably ought to play it because he's a, a longtime loyal Twitter question asker and he's moved over into audio. So here let's let's throw one more from Matt Claxton. Oh yeah. Because I'm not gonna respond to that from Fuller. That's <laughs> He was so bummed out that if I talk about it, it's going to bum me out. <laughs> I agree. Hey, this is Matt, Rogue Crew One, longtime tweeter, first time caller. What changes would Casey Gunn need to put in place if Gunner starts this weekend? <laughs> That's actually a pretty good question. I mean, you go what? Like, you go 23 personnel all day. <laughs> I mean, you have to be able to run if you have Gunner out there. I think you got to mix in some heavy, 
QB run game along with the normal run game. I think you would maybe have to get a little gimmicky, maybe a Braylon Presley jet sweep out there, something like that. And then quick passing game. If you can get the running game going, you you take some play action deep shots later, but I think you got to go with the quick passing game early first read stuff. If it's not there, tuck it and run, throw it away because you don't want to get into a situation where you're throwing picks early on into, you know, a Texas defense that can disguise some things. So I, I, I mean, I think that's what you would do, try to do. Yeah. This is another one of those things that me talking about it is going to bum me out. So I really don't know how badly I want to talk about it, but I love the question though, Matt, I do too. And I think it's a creative question. And so I guess I would say you've got, you would have to figure out a way to create an advantage running the football. I actually think Gunner has a little bit more speed than people think. I think he showed that in the pine bluff game. So I, I don't know if there would be a way to, you know, Clint shelf, get away from the cop speed gunner Gundy offense. Like, I don't know if you have that, if that playbook is still buried deep within Boone picking stadium somewhere, you could dust that one off and see what you have. But yeah, I, I think they would have to figure out a way to create an advantage running the football just with numbers. Cause otherwise I don't, I don't know if, I mean, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he can sling the ball around, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Actually. Like I don't, I don't have anything else to add on that. <laughs> What what a way! I'm terrified. What a, what, about a it. what a way to end this. You've got Fuller, who has never bet against the Pokes. I think he's claimed that before. And then a discussion of what happens if Spencer doesn't play. So with that, we leave you. Uh, apologies there, but it should be a phenomenal weekend in Stillwater. Again, both me and Dustin picking this, assuming Spencer Sanders is healthy. So hopefully that's the case. But if you're not already, hit a follow on Twitter at feels like 45 pod you can follow dustin at dust ragu and you can follow me at cade webb and you can keep it locked with us on instagram as well at feels like 45 pod and we will see you guys back here next week after a bounce back oklahoma state win over texas we'll talk to you then go pokes